I got to tell you something about myself I haven't told you before, and that is I'm a master gardener. Yeah, I'm a master gardener. Because um, when I moved to Thailand, uh, we, we lived in a house that was, had a concrete wall like right around it. So it was just, you know, like it felt like this. But behind the concrete wall behind our house was basically jungle. And, uh, but there was, a, there was probably about 30 feet before jungle of, of open grass. And so I found out who owned the land. And I asked after about a year of living there, could we, could I plant grass back here? And like kind of make it a yard if I just put like a temporary fence up? So we did that. So we busted through the back wall and built a yard because so, we had three young kids and dogs and wanted to play. But there was this little section over here that didn't fit right. So I thought, maybe I could plant something over here. And so I planted, uh, I first started with, threw out some stuff for like uh, Thai peppers and basil and kale, some things to make Thai food. And then we tried some other things. We made carrots. I made carrots. <laughs> I'm a really good gardener. I make carrots from scratch. Um, I planted, we made, planted carrots. And I remember um, we, we grew them and the kids went out and we harvested them. And they, I pulled the first one up and it was like that thick. I mean, it was thick. And then we pulled it up, and it was about that long, too. It was very, and so it wasn't so good. So we switched, and we did some stuff. Well, eventually, I went and I made um, raised beds by going out into the jungle and cutting down bamboo. And I cut it halfway long ways, and I put them together. And here are these bamboo planters, and we started planting. I planted uh, lots of things, but to the point where we, I planted enough lettuce, and it was growing so much that we, we ran a pizza restaurant while we were there that we used the lettuce from our garden for all the salads at the pizza restaurant. So I was pretty proud of myself. And then I moved to West Texas. <laughs> and I realized I'm not a master gardener, actually. <laughs> um, actually, what happened was I went out in Thailand and I threw seed like this and everything grew. Because in Thailand, everything grows. It is green. You don't have to have a green thumb. You just throw some seed out and lo and behold, stuff grows. West Texas, oof, not so much, not so much. So, okay, I was humbled a little bit. Not so much a master gardener, but I did know how to scatter seed and see what grew. So this morning, we are in Mark chapter 4, going through Mark here, headed towards Easter Sunday, and we reach uh, this section of Mark's gospel with a lot of red letters, if you have a Bible like mine. So hear this from Mark 4, starting in chapter 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, listen, a, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. 
Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, never hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. Since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, Hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So we've noticed that Mark points out often that the people are amazed at Jesus' teaching. But we are three full chapters in, and we've actually not heard Jesus teach anything. I mean, we've heard some sayings, we've heard his responses to questions and challenges, but there hasn't been a teaching section. And when you compare Mark with the other Gospels, there's actually very little teaching recorded in Mark. Now, Mark doesn't have a whole lot of time for sermons and lessons, but chapter 4 it gives us one of the only teaching sections in Mark. And this one is all parables. And Jesus begins with one of his most well-known parables, the parable of the sower. Now, if you've grown up like me, going to church, reading the Bible, you know what this parable is about. And I'll say, as a former missionary, I've heard this, sermon, this parable a lot, I definitely know what this parable is saying. I mean, Jesus explains it for us, right? Jesus is telling us that we need to spread the word. But we need to know what will happen when we go out sowing seeds. There will be some who respond to the gospel favorably. These people are the last type of soil mentioned. But we will also encounter soil that is not ready for, or even opposed to, the word we have to share and the gospel will not take root in that soil, but stay, strong and but stay strong and persistent. There will be a harvest, even if some reject it. Right, well, that sounds nice and tidy. On to the next parable, right? But wait. I wonder if that reading gets it exactly right. I wonder if 
This first parable of Jesus is that straightforward. I mean, Jesus even says that it is a mystery and some will not perceive. So could it be that simple? Well, okay, I'm not here to say today that there isn't some truth to that interpretation. I mean, parables are intended to be rich in meaning and provide deeper and deeper insights and wisdom as we ponder them. So the explanation I just gave, the one that I've heard since I was young, it could very well have some validity. But the longer I sit with this parable, the more I think we've missed the target just a little bit. I'm starting to think Jesus had a different emphasis. Maybe Jesus wants us to hear something else. Maybe he wants us to hear anew. Let those who have ears. Okay, but before we turn our good ear to Jesus' parable, I have to ask why the interpretation I summarized a second ago has so easily resonated with me over the years, as it may have resonated with you. I thought of a couple of explanations. First, I think our default, honestly, is to put ourselves at the center of the story. We are obviously the sower in the story, right? Jesus teaches so we can learn something, so this must be about us. And second, when we engage with Jesus' teaching, when we ask of the word to show us what God desires, we usually ask the question, what does God want me to do? So then we, we look to a parable like this, and we want, to, we want to know what God is asking us to do. Well, he's asking us to sow seeds, to spread the word. What if we didn't assume those things? What if those weren't our questions? What if the parable is not primarily about us? And what if this is not a lesson telling us to do something? I wonder if we put those assumptions away, assumptions that it is about us and us doing something, might we hear this parable anew? Or put differently, what if our primary question is, what is God doing? Might we have ears to hear? And in fact, I think this is the very point of the parable. Notice how it begins. Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Listen. Hmm. Jesus begins by telling those within earshot that they should listen. Okay, so I take it back. He does tell his audience to do something. Listen. And that is the only thing Jesus commands in this teaching. That's what catches my attention when I sit with this teaching. Jesus tells this parable, but he doesn't actually say the audience should do anything. There is no command or instruction at the end. He describes the soils, explains the meaning, and then leaves it there. The only thing the audience is told to do, the only thing we are told to do, is listen. You know, that, that same single command also gets used at another significant part of Jesus' story in Mark. It's during the transfiguration when Elijah and Moses show up on the mountain with Jesus, and there Peter, James, and John, they're there to witness it. And God confirms Jesus' identity. 
Now, if you recall in previous weeks, we saw how God calls Jesus his son after his baptism. And the centurion says, this must surely be the son of God when Jesus is dying on the cross. And now for a third time on this mountain, Jesus is identified as the son of God. Like it is baptism, a voice from above declares, this is my son whom I love. But the voice goes on to tell his disciples what to do in light of knowing his identity. Now, I would expect the voice to say something like, follow him, or obey him, or go tell others about him. But the voice says, listen to him. One thing to do listen okay so back to our parable okay so maybe i'm putting too much attention on a single word but that's the thing it's not a single word our english translations do us a disservice here the, the word for listen akuo which is where we get acoustic from okay akuo it, it's fairly common in the new testament um, on its own, it may not be that noteworthy. We could just get on with the parable. But Jesus doesn't just say, listen. He actually follows it immediately with another imperative. Behold. And this word, idu in Greek, is actually used quite often in the New Testament as well, though Mark only uses it a handful of times. And at one place it shows up, and it shows up there twice, it's when Jesus is praying in Gethsemane, right before he's arrested. His disciples keep falling asleep when Jesus goes to pray. And so finally, Jesus says, when he returns to his sleeping disciples, returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. But here's a more literal translation of, translation of that last part. Behold, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Behold, here comes my betrayer. So Jesus has spent the night praying listening, attending to God, and his disciples keep nodding off. He can't get them to pay attention to what is happening. So he tells them to behold. He wants them to pay attention. And so when Jesus begins his teaching in Mark, he begins by saying to his audience, listen, behold. This is the only time these two words get combined like this. I think Jesus is trying to tell us something. I think Jesus is trying to get us to pay attention. So what if, instead of first asking what we should do, we paid attention to what God is doing? What if this parable is not so much instructing us to do something, but describing the way things are when God speaks? What if we aren't at the center, but Jesus is? So remember what's happening at this time. 
Jesus has shown up and is proclaiming the good news of God. He has a word to sow among the people. And the crowds are growing to the point where Jesus has to get in a boat just so that they can hear him. And then you have the religious leaders. They're now showing up, and they're a bit suspicious of this guy. They're concerned about his teaching and the potential trouble brewing as people amass around him. To the point where they're conspiring to kill him. And so Jesus tells of a farmer sowing seed. And not all soil receives it the same way. So what does he say? The first type. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Now, I don't think each type of soil can be reduced to one specific group. Right? The mystery is that there are multiple layers of meaning and significance in parables. But I would venture a guess for one group Jesus has in mind here in verse 15. Remember, remember last week in chapter 3 how the religious leaders, especially the Pharisees, they show up at the synagogue. But they aren't there to listen. They are not paying attention. They are there with the purpose of catching Jesus in the act of healing on the Sabbath. As Mark says, they are there looking for a reason to accuse him. They can hear Jesus' word, but they aren't paying attention. They are looking to accuse him. So Jesus has a word for them in this parable. Jesus says, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word. Satan, which literally means accuser. These religious leaders, these who are a beaten path, these who are more keen to accuse than behold, are in earshot of Jesus. But they refuse to really listen. So the second type Verse 16, others like seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Huh. So the people here, they're continually amazed at what they are witnessing and hearing from Jesus. These large crowds and the excitement about Jesus is spreading the crowds are getting bigger and bigger. They like what they are hearing. But as Jesus knows, and as we know, the crowds won't be around when the authorities come to take him away. When trouble and persecution become a reality, the people don't seem as amazed. In fact, they're nowhere to be found. Jesus has been telling them all along what's going to happen to him, the suffering he will endure, but the word did not take root. So they only follow him for a short time. Lots of ears hear Jesus, but few were actually listening. And then the third type, verse 18. Still others 
Like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in, choke the word, making it unfruitful. And so, then there are those who hear Jesus' word, but there are so many other voices drowning it out. Those who might give an ear to Jesus, but whose hearts are somewhere else. Someone like the rich young ruler, if you recall, who will ask Jesus what he should do, but won't listen because he's been deceived by the promises of wealth. So in a world full of voices constantly vying for their attention, for our attention, for our desires, my hunch is that this is the most common type of the three soils. Those who might hear Jesus but aren't listening because of all the other voices they are paying attention to. Okay, so before I get on to the final type of soil Jesus talks about, here's what's catching my attention about these three types of soil. So first, this farmer is clearly not stingy with his seeds. He's scattering all over the place. I mean, what respectable farmer throws seed like this? On paths, on rocks, among thistles and thorns? Who does this farmer think he is, being so generous and open-handed? And second, I mean, it's, it's so easy to think of these types of soils as those people out there. I mean, my guess is this is what the disciples thought. Oh, those, those, yeah, those Pharisees, yeah. And yet, as we go through the rest of Mark, we're going to see the disciples in all three types of soil here. I mean, Peter, he's going to try and stand in the way of Jesus going to the cross, and Jesus is going to respond, get behind me, Satan. The disciples will follow Jesus for now, but when the threat of persecution arises, well... They'll flee. They'll even deny him three times. In the soil that desires other things? <laughs> Sounds like when two disciples are going to ask if they could sit at Jesus' right and left in his glory. The disciples do eventually hear Jesus. They do listen. They start to really pay attention. But it takes a little time for them to be ready to accept the word. So it makes me wonder if the farmer scatters seed liberally and he keeps doing this each and every season because maybe at some point, like the disciples, the soil will be ready. And so the fourth type of soil, verse 20. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some even 100-fold. Scholars have looked at the farming conditions in Palestine around this time, because that's what scholars do. Um, and the general consensus is that a really good yield would have been around 5-fold. So 30-fold? Amazing. 60-fold? 
unbelievable. A hundredfold? Well, I mean, this is getting just silly now. The point is that when the soil is ready, when the soil is paying attention, we will see God doing amazing, unbelievable, dare I say, miraculous things. And this is not just about the amount of people coming to faith. That's part of it, and that's great, but that's like fivefold of it. If we're paying attention, we're going to witness so much more. We'll see 30-fold. I mean, the sick being healed, paralytics walking, lepers being touched, the hungry being full and shriveled hands being restored. If we pay attention, we'll, we'll see 60-fold. The poor flourishing, the oppressed being released, the blind seeing, captives being set free. If we pay close attention, we'll see a hundredfold. Broken relationships being healed. Prodigal children returning home. We will see one new humanity. Not Jew and Gentile, not slave and free, not male and female. We might even see swords beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. I mean, we might see a kingdom where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. If we pay attention, we will see God at work and God doing amazing things. I mean, what... what could we say this is like? What shall we compare it to? Now, it's like a mustard seed. It's just the smallest of all seeds on earth. And yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. You know, the word akuo, the word that means to hear or to listen, it's used nine times in this short parable. Nine times. Jesus begins by telling his followers to listen, to behold, to pay attention. And then he tells a parable about different people hearing the word. And while all might hear, only some listen. Only some have ears to hear. Only some pay attention. This parable, first and foremost, is asking us to pay attention. To pay attention to God. Now, I'm not saying we don't have things to do. And I'm not saying we shouldn't respond in action to this parable. But what I am saying is that doing something doesn't really matter if we haven't first stopped to hear and to listen, to pay attention to what God is doing. I like how Leighton Ford writes in his book, The Attentive Life. Life requires not so much doing for God as paying attention to what God is doing. So let's pay attention. 
God is scattering seeds all over the place. And God is producing 30-fold, 60-fold, in fact, 100-fold. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear.